0: Hello, readers. This is Historical Fiction Unpacked, and I am not Alison Treat. Fear not, you will be hearing Alison's rich and honeyed voice as she answers the questions today. My name is Michelle Yule, and I, like Alison, am an author of historical fiction. I'm also a biographer, blogger, and longtime interviewer. I'm the lucky woman who gets to ask the questions today. Let's start. Hello, Allison, and thank you for joining me on your show today as we celebrate the end of another season.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to have you as the host.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's all that control. It's great. Okay, yeah. So, Allison, as a biographer and an avid reader of both historical fiction and memoir, I found one of the most interesting questions is what is left out of a book. Since your podcast is about other people and their books, let's find out a little more about you. Ah, so who are you?
1: Who am I? Isn't that what every everyone is asking when they're kind of, especially when they hit maybe the late teenage years, early young adult years? Who am I? Mm-hmm. Um, I. There are so many ways to answer. I could. <laughs> But um, I mean, obviously, I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I am a child of God. And I just am always reminded when I hear this question, who are you? Of um, I took a class with John Eldridge in my college years. And he taught us the, the answer to the question, who am I, is I am God's beloved. So that's what I go back to when I'm wondering about my identity, I guess. <laughs>
0: Perfect. So, tell us a little more practical details, like where did you grow up?
1: Mostly, I grew up an hour or a half hour from where I live now in northeastern wow. Pennsylvania. Um, but I did. I was born in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and um, but we moved when I was a baby to Stamford, Connecticut, which is an hour outside mm-hmm. New York City. So, I I grew up for about seven years there before mm-hmm. my family moved back to Pennsylvania. So. I've been in the Northeast most of my life, really.
0: So you're a Keystone Stater? Is that what it is? Is it Keystone? Is that what it is? Yes, it is a Keystone
1: (laughs) State. Yes. But I did um, live, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but I lived for six months in the sunny state of California. So I have been out that way a little bit.
0: (laughs) Well, very good. So tell me about reading and stories and what they've meant in your own life.
1: Well, when I was a kid, and even now, I've always been a little bit introverted, and I, I think I just loved having my own imaginary world, and I would escape into that world, so make up my own stories about, you know, I'd make up more family members because I wanted to be part of a large family as if ours wasn't large enough. Um, it was large. We, you know, when I was a kid, we had four kids, and then it expanded to eight later on, but <laughs> yeah. um, I would just play at being a cowgirl um, or imagine all sorts of things. Um, Wonder Woman was one of my favorite characters too, but I loved once I could read, I loved escaping into the imaginary worlds created by other authors. So, you know, I loved the little house on the prairie series, the, and even this was before I could read. Cause my parents would read to me before I could even read by myself. Um, The Chronicles of Narnia, and later on, Anne of Green Gables, and um, The Yearling. I just remember all these wonderful classics that I read and loved.
0: So, as usual, it sounds like Little House on the Prairie was like the starter drug for historical fiction lovers.
1: (laughs) I think so, yeah.
0: So, did you, like me, add a character?
1: Um, Add a character to Little House on the Prairie? Yeah. When, I mean... I guess when I was playing Little House on the Prairie, because now I think I just was usually Laura, because I kind of looked like Laura, and I liked wearing braids. So you added a character. Now I need to know more about well, yeah, there's always
0: another fourth sister in all those novels. But that's because I was always adding myself in. Oh, I- <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Yes. Okay. So who is the history lover and or the storyteller in your own family? There must have been someone that kind of sparked this in you.
1: Yeah. um, My mom was definitely the history lover and the book lover in Mm -hmm. our family. And she passed that on to me. Um, Although my dad read a lot of, he did a lot of the read-alouds at bedtime. So like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Little House series, he actually read them to me. And he told wonderful stories about his childhood and his mother also told me stories Mm -hmm. that um, they just the stories about my grandmother's childhood. So struck me that I actually put them in a book when I was probably 11 or 12. I mean, you know, not, it's not published, but I still have it. So um, yeah, I think we had a lot of storytellers.
0: So you come by naturally. Very good. Um, So what was your favorite subject when you finally went to school?
1: Well, um I was actually homeschooled. I oh. most of my homes, most of my education. Um but I did I always loved English and reading and writing and but I feel like that really carried over into other subjects especially with homeschooling my mom did a lot of unit studies and so I say we did a unit study on China I remember and that would involve the reading and the writing so we read about Gladys Aylward and we read The Good Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, also wrote about it, too. So I think a lot of that probably helped me, like, integrate the even the history with English and writing. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, you went on to write at least one historical fiction novel, One Traveler. Yes. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that book?
1: Okay. Well, One Traveler is the story of Sidney Judson who is a 17-year-old boy from a slaveholding family in Georgia um, in 1860. So it's the year before the Civil War begins. And his parents are killed in a carriage accident. And he goes north to stay with his aunt and uncle, who it turns out are involved in the Underground Railroad. And they're in Pennsylvania. So while he's living with them, he kind of has to grapple with their different viewpoints on slavery and their different beliefs about, um, black people and enslaved people and, and what should happen in the country. And, um, you know, he has a, a change of heart over the course of the book, but I don't think that's giving too much away.
0: So what took you into that? Okay. First off, you have a teenage boy, basically a later teenage boy, 17 year old point of view. What, what made, what drew you to that story and how did it form in your mind?
1: Well, um, what really drew me to that story in the first place was that um, my mom made me read Gone With the Wind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I didn't hate it, but I I really had a problem with, I felt like the South was viewed through such uh, like rose colored glasses exactly. view. And, and I thought, uh, and also kind of the North was portrayed as this big, bad evil that kind of ruined their way of life. Um, and I, I just wanted to write a novel and I thought it was going to be this, you know, epic novel, like Gone with the Wind, um, about that showed the North in a more positive light. And, and I think I also, I was just, um, I became more interested in, um, the Underground Railroad and the lives of, of enslaved people who escaped slavery and, um, the kind of the courage that that took. Mm Mm-hmm um, it just, it still fascinates me.
0: hmm Um, what were you, what were you surprised about while you wrote it? Um, or what, did anything just surprise you, or was that part of the instigation that got you to write about that? I've never read a novel in, along those lines where a, someone from the South came North and then had their, their perspective changed as a result. It was a really interesting concept, I thought.
1: Oh, thank you. Um, What surprised me, I think, was that I had a very black and white view of, I thought, you know, kind of like the northerners were the good people who, um, opposed slavery. Well, that was not really the case at all. And a lot of, at least the area that I was writing about, um, a lot of the people had Southern sympathies, um, and, you know, helped catch escaped slaves and, and return them to slavery, um. So I mean there was a good there was a quite a big network of abolitionists also mm-hmm. in the in that area um mm-hmm. but yeah I was surprised by how how much <laughs> it's not so black and white as we think and and people oh. you know run the gamut in terms of their their beliefs and and actions
0: Have you gone on to write more historical fiction or I, I
1: have um none of it has been published yet um i wrote a second novel called come along home and that was about um a character from one traveler um she's a free black woman living with um sydney's aunt and uncle in the book in one traveler and then i yes rhoda i told her story um in come along home from the age of 8 years old when she was sold away from her her family she was sold to a slaveholder in in Baltimore and then but she always wanted to escape and find her family again mm-hmm. um so i i actually really love that novel i think it's it's amazing but um right now most publishers don't want to publish a a story about a black protagonist from the um, view of a, a white author, so mm-hmm. um, I have, have been thinking. Sometime in the future, I may rewrite it with two POV characters, so mm-hmm. that um, it might receive. It might be more well received then. I'm. I'm not sure, um, yeah. but I I really enjoyed writing it, and because I think I just became fascinated with with Rhoda mm-hmm. when I was writing When Traveler, so um, and then I went. To, I went on to write another another one. I have a third um, completed manuscript, which is a dual timeline mm-hmm. about a um, an immigrant from Eastern Europe in 1911 and her mm-hmm. great-granddaughter in 2001 who is reading and translating her journal. Um, uh-huh. So it tells both of their stories simultaneously and it, it deals a lot with, um, oh, it goes from, you know, it deals with um, ethnocentricity and um, depression and suicide. Um, mm-hmm. Lots of issues in that book. But I really, I love that. I just fell in love with the characters. That one was based, not, I should not say based. It was inspired by my great grandmother's story. She came from Slovakia yeah. in, or around 1911 also. And, um, but it, it is not really her story. You know, it, it veers very, on a very different path. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it does
0: so um how many library books do you have out of the library right now
1: you know i my kids have more library books out than I do because right. I tend to buy books <laughs> oh. i do I do get them from the library p- occasionally but i I either buy them or um podcasters send them to me podcasters not podcasters guests send them to me yeah. so I have a lot of um you know either the pdfs on my Kindle or mm-hmm the actual hard copies of books for the podcast.
0: Well I guess I my my the point of my question was how many research
1: um ah uh, uh,
0: you know yeah you, know, you have to have stacks of research. My office is always overflowing with books. So.
1: Yeah. I do um but quite yeah I don't have any from the library right now for research, That's but right. I do have um I have a book about Asa Packer on my Nightstand because um, I've been very interested in his daughter, Mary Packer Cummings. I'm not sure if you've heard of these uh-huh. people, but he is a coal baron from Pennsylvania, or he was. And um, his daughter actually, <laughs> at the time, you know, he was one of the, like basically up there with um, J.P. Morgan and mm-hmm. um, Rockefeller, kind of the same type of um wealth. Um, and he, his daughter was the only surviving child and she could not inherit his fortune unless she got married. So Ah. she married, she married a friend, um, because she had no interest in getting married. So I'm very fascinated with that story and I'm trying to dig up more information Mm -hmm. about, about that family. It's very, um, it's very sparse. It's hard to find. So.
0: that gives you plenty of room then for your imagination to read.
1: Yes. That's true.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's segue over to the novels on your podcast. I realize you need to be somewhat circumspect. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So um, we'll go right ahead. How many novels have you read over the last two years, do you think?
1: For the podcast specifically? Because I've read others besides. Of course. um, um, I think, let me see. I think... 39 or 40, I'm counting, counted last night. So
0: 40 over the last two years, would you say? Or yes. longer, three? Okay. No, it's two um, years. Yeah.
1: I mean, when I release this, it'll be two years old. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, what novel surprised and astonished you? Or is there one or were there a couple? And if so, what, what was it about it that just surprised you when you read it?
1: Okay. So the one that surprised me or astonished me, I guess, would be... Um, Prospects of a, of a woman by Wendy Vorsinger.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um I talked about this on the show that it's it was not a clean book, and she when she heard the podcast, she said that was fair. You know, <laughs> so but the, the opening scene was very shocking. I read it and I was like, oh, this is that kind of book. Okay, um, yeah, I don't even want to ex- describe the scene, yeah, but yeah. it was it was you know very shocking and surprising. That was the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Was there a, a famous historical novel you simply didn't like? It doesn't have to have been on your podcast or not. Just some, like you just indicated, "Gone with the Wind" troubled you.
1: Oh, right. Um, yeah, "Gone with the Wind" troubled me definitely. I I think it's interesting that it's it's so famous and widely read, and um, not not that that's a bad thing to read things that trouble you or make you think. Mm-hmm. or notice maybe what was wrong with the way we used to.
0: I think most people are looking at Rhett Butler and Clark Gable when they read that book.
1: <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah, it's more about the um, the actual uh, relationships between the characters, you know. Mm-hmm. I can think of one. I don't really want to mention it. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I can tell you off the record. <laughs>
0: That's fine too. I mean, yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> I get it completely.
1: <laughs> I like to be, um, not that I will never say anything negative about a book because I will, but especially in the Christian uh, yeah. industry, I don't want to put down other authors because I, yeah, I the, how you enjoy a book is also, it's very personal and, and a book that I didn't enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, someone else can just love. So Um, and for so many different reasons I think it's yeah
0: Yeah, it's always interesting on Goodreads when I evaluate books that people I know have written for a long time I just didn't write anything at all because yeah it's too hard then I thought well that's not fair either because then it looks like I'm slamming them (laughs) 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 okay great so you know I just thread the needle and hopefully no one looks at it (laughs) right (laughs) right so yeah. what is your personal favorite historical fiction time period? Or
1: mm, do you have one? Maybe I have a couple. So I mm-hmm. I really do love the Civil War era. Uh-huh. Um or even, you know, pre-Civil War when the Underground Railroad, not that it was a great time in history, of course, um but I think it's just so um I think I'm just so inspired by mm-hmm. what the Underground Railroad was doing and and that kind of bravery that I see in, in people and, and also just how they were able to change things, even though it took a long thing, long time for things to really Mm -hmm. change permanently, of course. Um, But I also really love, I mean, I mentioned the dual timeline I wrote. I, I do love the early 1900s and Mm -hmm. um, regular people then who were, kind of making a life like like mm-hmm. I think of my my great-grandparents, you know, coming to this country and, and living as coal miners and how, how hard they worked to make a better future for their children, like all of their children. I think all of their children went to college. Wow. And so I'm just also inspired by that time period. And I, I love to hear stories and, and read books um, about that time period. I've recently read one, I think, I think I'm going to have the author on next season. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's indie published, but I just, I thought it was so well done and it was just so interesting to me. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if there are enough books about that kind of pocket of history.
0: Yeah, well, that's actually one of the questions I have later on. What time or place do you think is overlooked or mm-hmm. would you personally like to read about within the the historical fiction genre?
1: Yeah, that would be that would be the time period I think that there could be more fiction about that time period for sure. I mean, that's partly why I I wrote a book <laughs> where half of it is basically in that time period. Um, but I haven't found very many. I also, I really love, um, learning about, I talked about this with Laura France last time mm-hmm. I had her on. I love learning about the Acadians in Canada sure. and, um, I think it's partly because my daughter's name, my youngest, her name is Evangeline. And Mm -hmm. I just started to get fascinated with what happened there. And I, I don't think there are a lot of, there are a few novels Mm -hmm. about that, but not many. So.
0: Yeah. Um, Do you think there are too many world war two novels out there? (laughs)
1: Um, I do feel that way sometimes, (laughs) especially I, yeah. Like, Especially if I read them too close together, I will get so confused about, you know, I feel like there are quite a few kind of along the same theme. And maybe there was someone who was a spy, (laughs) you know, a woman who was a spy and, and the... Um, story of her life and so when I look back you know several months later I'm like which, which book was that that I'm thinking of and and some of them have the same especially when they're set in France it's like everybody has the same yep. name
0: and-, <laughs> <laughs> and the covers sometimes look the same yes yeah, uh, yeah. No, see, I, I agree with you I just read one though by um Kate Quinn
1: I can't remember oh. the title
0: now, of course not. But it, it was about, the heroine was a was based on a true story, but she was a Ukrainian sniper during World War II. Oh, I have not read that one. That's and, interesting. And um, it just was completely different. And it's vaguely linked to an earlier novel in which she had Russian pilots, female Russian pilots, also during the war, which again, it was a theater and a, a totally wild story. I mean, these characters are wild that I simply wow. had never heard about. And so- I um, can't say I really enjoy them because they were they were rough battle women, um, in in that sense. But it was it was refreshing if you will, oh, not refreshing but novel in that it was a completely different theater yes. and a different take on it, particularly with the Ukrainian story. Your interview last week with Elena Gordova
1: Gorakova, um,
0: Gorakova, pardon me, uh, Ms. Gorakova was really really interesting just because of her perspective she's about my age of, of the glasnost period mm-hmm. and um, also then of the Ukraine and I laughed when I heard it because I've been arguing all along that it's the Soviets now it's not the Russians again and my husband mm-hmm. was like, it's the Russians they're acting just like the Soviets so
1: yeah thank you for
0: confirming my opinion
1: there <laughs> right.
0: Let's see. Um, what surprising facts have you learned about history in general if you've read through these novels? Or is there anything that has just stood out like, wow, I had no idea? And
1: Well, there was something that, um, and I know it's in one of, it's in my interview with Sarah Loudon Thomas. We talked about some kind of like work accident with miners where they ended up, when they blasted, it wasn't, I don't know if it was coal mining, but when they I think they were blasting out a tunnel or something and whatever material was in this tunnel or rock was, went into their lungs and it was like glass. Mm -hmm. And so they all died. Oh no. It was a, um, so that was the thing that sticks out to me when I think of like historical facts that I had no idea about, but there have been a number of, a number of, um, books about, for instance, a few weeks ago, I had, um, Carrie Chapit on the show and I had, um, no idea about what she wrote about was da- the daughters of the King who were women, young women from England that were sent over to marry the men in Canada because there were so many men in Canada and not enough women for them to marry. Um, so I had no idea about that program or anything about it until I learned about her and, and looked at her book and, you know, found out about that. And also um, Sarah Elizabeth Sawyer, mm-hmm. who wrote about the Choctaw code talkers during mm-hmm. world war one. I I didn't really know much about that at all. So there have been a, a lot of parts of history that I realized I'd, I, didn't have any knowledge of it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you kind of hone in on, on your certain area and get to be almost an expert in that. Not Mm -hmm. that you're in it. I'm not a historian, Mm -hmm. but um, you just learn more about what you're interested in. in, And that kind of leads to more study in that area. So it's really been interesting to be exposed to different eras and different um, little pockets of history.
0: It's been interesting listening to your program, of course, like, um, I really enjoyed when you interviewed Jody Headland about mm-hmm. her Waters of Time series. So the, you know, yes. I, yes, of course, in a way that was familiar. Oh, that's right. The Healing Waters in Canterbury from what, right. the 13th century, whatever it is. And I just, I love just hearing her reflections on those stories, the historical part of them. So that was, yeah, I, from your show, I've, I've been exposed to all sorts of Just interesting historical ideas I maybe had never thought about before, just like you've said, or concepts or historical, yeah, facts that just like, oh yeah, and how they influenced history too. So all very good. All right. Let's talk just about the podcast itself for a bit. So where did the idea of this podcast about historical fiction come from?
1: Well, I always, I shouldn't say always, since, since podcasts have been developed since the medium has been in existence i have loved listening to them i mean Mm -hmm. a few a few bloggers i followed way back when blogging was super popular Mm -hmm. um they started podcasts when it developed and i you know this was on my old like ipod shuffle i would listen to Mm -hmm. those podcasts um so i always loved the medium and i um now there are just too many podcasts to even... Yeah. Yeah, I have so many that I follow. I can't keep up with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I kind of thought that I would enjoy doing something like this. And um, it probably more solidified when I... Uh, in, in 2019, I went out to the SoCal Christian Writers Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thomas Amstadt Jr. Mm-hmm. did a class at that conference, um, and it was how to start a podcast Mm -hmm. because he's, he's a marketing guru. He's very into, um, podcasting. Mm -hmm. He has several podcasts. So, um, when I took that class, I thought like I could do this and I was kind of just mulling over it the next year. And then, um, I listened to his podcast all the time, the novel marketing podcast. And he did an episode early very early in the pandemic about mm-hmm. what to do during the shutdown, which it kind of cracked me up because I, he, he was acting like you have all this time because everything shut down, but I actually had less time because I had three children home from school and a husband.
0: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't have so many children at the time. No, he made that talk. <laughs> no.
1: Now he does, but then he didn't. Know. Um, so, I but I it made me think. Um, I think he talked a little bit about how to find your focus. And since I write historical fiction, and I didn't see at that time there weren't any historical fiction podcasts, right. um, so I thought I'm going to find this this niche and and go for it. Um, and it took me, you know, till the end of that summer of 2020 to mm-hmm. really get it get it to where I felt I could start. And now there are several historical fiction podcast, but that's okay. We, we all help each other out anyway. But um, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that's where the idea came from and why I wanted. Yeah. I mean, I think it was partly to expand my platform. Mm -hmm. I I knew that I would really enjoy doing it, but it was also, um, you know, to gain more followers and and help kind of in the search for an agent. I thought maybe this would be something that would help out you know, and i don't know if i expected to enjoy it as much as i do yeah
0: well your voice is well suited for this method of interviewing you're warm rich and inviting um do you have any voice training in your past or this is just you your natural
1: well thank you thank you i love it when i get those compliments and um thank you very much no i don't really well it's not entirely true i just first of all i chuckle when i hear people complain about hearing their voice because I'm so used to hearing my voice now from editing mm-hmm. the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, it doesn't bother me anymore. <laughs> but but that's not because I think my voice is wonderful. Um, but I, I did, I mean, at a very amateur level, I did act on stage. Mm-hmm. And even though I was amateur, I think the director did help mm-hmm. with how to project. And I wouldn't say I had training, but I did, in college, I went through this phase. I, I majored in English and mm-hmm. um I took a class about all the different dialects of the US and, and where they originate. Mm-hmm. Um and I was just fascinated with that. But at the same time while I was fascinated with that, I also made it my mission to have um a standard American accent mm-hmm. so that you couldn't tell that I came from coal cracker c- country. So, but <laughs> so, like, one of my friends used to make fun of me for pronouncing every T because I didn't want to have a glottal stop. And so, you know, I live near Scranton, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and some people would say Scran, mm-hmm. um, but I would never do that. I had to pronounce every T in Mountain or Scranton or even Button. Yes. There you <laughs> um, are. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Um, I don't think I'm quite as careful as I used to be. But, you know, that was my my own <laughs> way of training myself, I guess.
0: No, it works really nicely. So how do you choose the books or the authors you interview?
1: Well, for the most part, they have chosen me. I, When I started the podcast, I had a few um, different contacts that I knew I could reach out to. And so one of them was was Rosanna White. And mm-hmm. she... She basically put the word out. I don't even know where or how. Mm-hmm. And people the requests started rolling in after I interviewed her. So, I haven't had to seek out anyone. Now I will if I, you know, if I find a book that I love or I think um and that's something I'd like to do more in the next few seasons probably is is seek out some of the authors that um that I really want to have on the show, Mm -hmm. you know, that I haven't had on the show yet. So, and there have been a few that I've sought out like that. Mm -hmm. What surprising
0: facts have you learned from two years of interviewing authors about the authors themselves? Can you make some general statement about writers of historical fiction or I know that's ridiculous, but (laughs) if you have seen something that, um, that they have in common Other than they Um, like to read and write, eh? Right.
1: The, I think the biggest thing is that we're all just regular people. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, some of them I might be a little intimidated by, but most of them are very, you know, kind and um, just almost like, I feel like they're doing me a favor being on my show and, but they see it the other way and they, they are, very um grateful yeah
0: so how many authors have you interviewed more than once i know you've had jill eileen smith a couple times laura friends a couple times
1: yeah i've not had anybody on three times but um i know sarah Mm -hmm. sundin um Mm -hmm. joanna davidson politano Mm -hmm. kimberly duffy Mm -hmm. laura france as you mentioned um jody headland and yeah jill eileen smith
0: yeah, so there are quite a, a broad spread of cultures and places and time. Yes,
1: definitely. Okay.
0: So, about the podcast itself, how many hours a week would you say it takes you to produce
1: one? So, if I do not, as you know, I I don't read every book. If I read, if I don't read the whole book, mm-hmm. I would say it takes about five hours. I'll read probably about thirty minutes of the book, and then mm-hmm. the interviewing um, can take you know, I prep for 30 minutes and then the interview can take 60 minutes, but it doesn't usually take that long. Editing can take two hours typically. And um, then producing it, which is, you know, putting it online and writing the show notes and um,
0: the graphic and making the
1: graphic. Yeah. yeah. That probably takes me another hour usually. Um, And then, um, yeah. what what takes the most time though. I, this isn't even included in the show. I, I feel like a, a big time suck is answering emails. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that's true of everybody, whether they're running yes. a podcast or
1: not. <laughs> yes. But I probably wasn't prepared for the volume of e- email that came, came in. Yeah.
0: What do you wish you'd known before you began?
1: I think just, I'm not a super efficient person. I, I, try work on it. I try to be more efficient. Um, but I think just how I've pretty much gotten this whole process down to a. a it works. It goes pretty smoothly now, but I kind of wish I had known how to do that in the beginning, but I don't know if you can know that you, you yeah. just have to kind of learn by doing. By.
0: And then um, how do you think learning about history through story helps you approach life in the present?
1: Oh, that is a wonderful question. <laughs> Um, you know, sometimes I think that I want to live in a different time than the one we live in right now, you know, and especially, I think I've thought about this a lot when the, um, early in the pandemic, when everything was shut down and, um, but if you know history, you know, that there was always something and that even if say people live peacefully for 20 or so years, there there was bound to be a time of upheaval and unrest and sometimes much worse problems than we're facing right now so i think it helps us keep things in perspective and i think we can learn things from history we can look at civilizations and see what worked um and how you know certain civilizations were Great, and and we can see their downfall when we look at history, um, and what made them um, end up coming to an end. And I think it's important to observe that and learn from that. Also, that's hard to answer that that question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I got it from
0: the best. Um, (laughs) Is there anything else that you'd like to kind of reflect on as as you reach the end of a second, as you have reached the end of a second? Season, just thoughts about um, just how it has blessed you personally, interviewing and talking and thinking about historical fiction for so long.
1: Well, I can tell you how speaking with all the authors has blessed me personally. Um, especially some, most of the authors have. It, it's really interesting. It's their story of how they got published. And, um, you know, it hasn't been, I think, when I was younger, I imagined that I would become a famous author rather quickly, and that would be my life, right? But that isn't how things went <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and it's and it's I've learned it's not usually how things go, and um, I think it's been very eye opening and and kind of helped me to grow as a person, and I think it's also been like my own growth kind of alongside this not that it's because of the podcast but the the stories of the different authors help um help put things in perspective and 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 i know now more mm-hmm. more than i did before that um basically my my focus is less like how can i get an agent or how can i get my big break it's more what does god want me to do with with this day and what can i do do with my time that will glorify him how I ca- how can I find um, what he wants me to do in this moment whether it's you know writing a story whether it's um, sending that proposal out whether it's um, sending a story to a, a contest or whether it's um, taking the time to talk to my teenager or when my eight-year-old is melting down just you know, taking a minute to say, "Wait a minute, what's going on mm-hmm. beyond the surface here?" Um, you know, not that I never did those things before, but I think I'm learning more and more to not see mm-hmm. the other things in life as a distraction from yeah. writing or or my what I want my career to be. No, this is all life, right. and and eventually. <laughs> I'll be where God wants me to be. I I am where God wants me to be right now. Eventually, I'll get to the next step if, if that's where I'm supposed to be.
0: Yeah, and that's an important thing to realize. Um, I was at my first writer's conference watching the rain pour down, and no one was interested in buying anything and so on. Mm. And I was just standing out on a balcony watching it, the rain pour. I was at Mount Hermon. And I said, you know, Mm -hmm. Lord, I'm so discouraged. I don't really even know why I'm here. Maybe I should just go home and finish raising my last child. And right then, the rain stopped, the clouds parted, and a sunbeam (laughs) came down. Now, it did not touch me, but I said, okay, I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) And at that particular conference, um, Davis Bennett said it had taken him. He had written seven novels before he sold one. And I Mm. thought, okay, Lord, I'll go with that. I'll just keep writing and trust you with this. But I felt like I had a promise. And I got Mm -hmm. my first writing contract the very day we took our youngest child to college. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I, I can look back in hindsight. Even then I knew I needed to be not preoccupied with my writing when my yes. child was a teenager. And right. um, and I'm very thankful that I got the – it was seven years in my case between that mm-hmm. prayer and um, my daughter going to school, my last child. And um, to have been distracted by contracts and at that time, we didn't even have to, you know, have blog posts and so on and so forth. Um, right. Yeah. That, that For me, that wasn't a good call. So somehow God knew better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's amazing. <laughs> okay. And it's such a common story too. Uh, oh, totally. Not, yeah. not the same story, but, you know, very similar mm-hmm. stories.
0: So given all that, I know your son grabbed one of your books and read it before you did. Um, how has a historical fiction affected your family? <laughs> how do your well, children react or relate to or, or say to what you do or what you read?
1: Um. Well, it depends. So it's affected them because I've read historical fiction to them a lot, you know? Oh, yeah, um, yeah. And that, that same son is the one who used to, I mean, I only have one son actually, but he uh-huh. is the one who would complain the most when I would go into my room to write. And But he, he got through that phase and now he doesn't mind. Um, right. I think it just was at the time he needed more attention or something but um over the years i mean obviously from what i said before i think you can tell i've i've had times where i think like my family's more important why am i wasting my time at this yeah, right. um kind of the same thing you thought about should i finish raising my last child and but if i even talk about it um you know putting it aside not that i would stop writing altogether but just yeah. you know the pursuit of publication is very consuming. And, um, but my oldest daughter, she'll say, mom, you can't, you've worked so hard. I don't want you to give that up. So, so far it's still a pursuit, but it's not, I would say it doesn't consume me to the same degree. And probably, especially because it's summertime right now, <laughs> and the kids are home and I just can't devote. Yeah. The time to it that I used to. And it's funny because when when they're little, I thought, when the kids were little, I thought, I'll have more time when they're older. But that doesn't, that's not true.
0: No, not at all. But it's a nice pipe dream. Yeah. <laughs> so is. what does the rest of your family think of all this? I, I noticed that um, you acknowledge them quite nicely in um, the acknowledgments for one traveler. Um, oh. They,
1: they participate. Your mom and
0: dad have read. Oh, your Yeah.
1: Dad, yeah. Um oh yes my, so uh, my husband has become my first beta reader. Right. Um and then my mom and dad both usually read um actually my third novel the one the dual timeline mm-hmm. one. Um my sister the one who passed away in in December mm-hmm. um she and I'm I'm so grateful for this now that she's gone but she mm-hmm. was the first one to read it after after my husband, Todd, um, I think it just made her feel so special to, to read it. And she absolutely loved it. Like her, her comments were really Mm -hmm. helpful because she's a lot younger than I am. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think more of a probably commercial fiction reader. Mm -hmm. So it's helpful to know how someone, um, with that perspective would read my work, you know, in, in their comments. So,
0: Okay, well, that's basically what I have. It's been an honor to listen to your podcast for the last two years, Allison, and I'm looking forward to who and what you'll talk about next season.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you for doing this for me.
0: Well, congratulations and happy anniversary.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Well, my friends, now you all know, what I was hanging on to that I didn't want to tell you on the last episode. Um, it was so much fun to be interviewed by Michelle Yule. Um, she was actually on my show before and I will link to that episode in the show notes as well as a lot of the other things that we discussed on this a little bit longer episode, but, um, I just appreciate Michelle for doing this and making my two year anniversary episode so very special. Um, she offered in the podcast group so this is a good time to tell you that the ways to get involved and support historical fiction unpacked are number one follow the show on whatever app you use if you could rate and review it as well that'd be fantastic and then if you want to join the the podcast group on facebook it's historical fiction unpacked podcast group you can search it on facebook or get there from the show notes and um you can also follow us on Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked, and you can check out my Patreon account and see if you want to sign up to be a patron and help us keep the lights on here at Historical Fiction Unpacked. You can find the Patreon page at patreon.com slash alisontreat, or you can also get there from the show notes. You can find the show notes at alisontreat.com slash blog. So, guys, this is a really good time for you to do all these things to make sure that you're following me because if you've been listening to the show, you know that I am taking a long break and I'm planning to come back in January, stronger than ever, and I have some projects I need to work on this fall. Um, so I hope that you won't miss me too much, but I hope that you miss me a little bit. and I hope to be back in your earbuds. Or your car stereo, or wherever you listen to me early in 2023. So make sure you make those connections with me because I send out a newsletter and I um, release videos on Patreon. And I also talk to my Instagram followers on my stories sometimes. So that's fun. So you will be able to hear my voice if you follow me in those other platforms. But for historical fiction unpacked, this is. See you later. I hope you have a wonderful fall, a fantastic Christmas season, and I will talk to you again next year.